this podcast, we discuss a few things that emergency service personnel see on a regular basis. Some listeners may find the topics distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Massix disease or something? Something like that. I don't know. We've got a vet coming. Okay. So local land services, awesome vets. Very good. Is it highly contagious? Is yeah. It, is it spreading throughout the or chalk population? It probably should do. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> That's the life of a hobby farm. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Kev. The planned couple of week break turned into a couple of months. Um, so for those listeners coming back uh, or sticking with me, thank you very much. Uh, for those uh, for those new listeners who think this is a completely new podcast, I understand. <laughs> I get it. Absolutely. Um, so for those new listeners, this podcast uh, originally started... Because uh, because of COVID, um, because of isolation, um, spending a lot of time on the phone, talking to a lot of friends, realizing that um, I have a lot of great friends, um, very very funny, very very smart friends, and uh, you know what? Why not? Why not put the conversations out for for everyone to hear? And 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 uh, you know what? The the response has been absolutely phenomenal. So thank you very much. I have also decided that um, to do away with any sort of schedule. Once a week um, was probably just a little bit too much. And once once every two weeks, I don't know. It feels kind of funny. So look, I'm going to go with uh, quality over quantity and just say, look, you know, once I've got a good podcast or a solid guest, I will I will uh, I will broadcast it. So I know that's uh, I know that's probably not the uh, the best move. Um, to get the uh, to get the the consistent listenership up, but um, you know what, I was I was never doing this for um, for followership and to try and monetize or anything like that. But um, yeah, speaking of sponsorship, if uh, if you are struggling um, or you're a, or you're a fan of caffeine such as myself, um, go to Journey Made Coffee um for for all your caffeinated needs um they've got some amazing roasts and they've got access to all the tips and tricks you can think of um as well as the tools needed to uh brew yourself a lovely cup of joe use the code mymate at checkout for 10 percent off your order this week's guest i've been trying to get on the podcast for a very long time um unfortunately our, our very very busy schedules uh, it just means we, we're two ships passing in the night quite often. Um, extremely interesting person, very, very funny person, a very, very smart person. And uh, it's, it's always really interesting to hear um, uh, thoughts and uh, experiences from a different emergency services point of view. So without further ado, this is my mate, Simon. Simon, thank you very much for joining me. Um, we're actually christening our studio. Um, you're the first person in here to do the podcast in person. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. I'm yeah. happy to help you with your podcast. <laughs> I'm keen as mustard. Excellent. I have a good head for podcasts. <laughs> I've been I've been told that I've got the face for podcasts and the personality of a sponge. So I don't know where that leaves me, to be honest. Right. <laughs> okay, we'll leave that one alone. Um, so Simon, who who are you? Tell tell me about who you are at the moment. Um. I'm Simon. I'm a sergeant of police in a law enforcement agency in New South Wales. <laughs> Try and figure that one out. Um, I live in the Bathurst area mm-hmm. and have done for a few years now. Yep. Um, but mainly, mainly lived in uh, Western Sydney. Okay. Um, is that where you sort of grew up, Western Sydney? Or? I grew up in Wentworthville. Okay. Yep. Um, so my parents. And myself came out here in 1966 as 10 Bob Poms. Um, and we moved to pretty much Wentworthville straight away. And I stayed there for, well, all of them. I think I moved out when I was around 20. Yeah, okay. 18 or 20. Yep. Moved out of that basic town and hung around Toon Gabby and those areas for a while. And then um, moved up to the Blue Mountains. Yeah, okay. Whereabouts were you in the Blue Mountains? I established a 
my family home in Springwood. Very nice. Yeah, I went to school in Springwood. It's a nice little space, nice little place. Awesome place. Awesome place. Great place for kids. Um, away from the, well, it was back then so much, away from the hustle and bustle of the metro area. Yeah, sure. The um, uh, mum and dad moved. Um, I, I grew up in Boulevard and mum and dad moved um, out of the family home uh, a couple of years ago now. And they just said, like, um, Sydney, like, Sydney was encroaching very very quickly on the blue mountains absolutely absolutely so it was it was no longer a, a small group of villages it was it was basically western sydney so yeah fair enough um how long have you been in the police for 33 wow, okay. years 33 i think yep. yeah so how many how many name changes how many uniform changes in that in that time how many commissioner changes in that time um wow so uh, I started with Avery, then Lauer, I think, then another standing bloke, then Ryan, then Scipione, mm-hmm. and our current commissioner. Yep. Our uniform progressed from being business attire to a little bit more tactical, mm-hmm. and that's changing still. Yep. Um, our appointments have changed significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now carry a lot more equipment. So the, the younger police carry a load-bearing vest. Yep. Um, I, I can't get it right with the load-bearing vest, so I, I've stuck to the to the uh, belt. Yep. But yeah. Yep. And the last five years in rural New South Wales. Yep. So stepping away from the um, from the tactical look, by tactical you mean I, I think you guys went through uh, was it black overalls for a while there for general duties, black overalls or black on black, and then no, we've never we've never had that. All the um, all the upper echelon have tried to stay away from that. Sure, yep. Um, when I joined, the commissioned officers wore white shirts. Oh, okay, yep. Um, and that soon went out. Yep. Um, two-tone blue is the main form of dress. Yep. And I'm, I'm not sure where that's at. It might be moving away to dark blues. Oh, okay. Yep. Time will tell. Yeah, fair enough. Um, how, um, before we get too carried away, carried away with your, with your career and your history, um, how do I know you? My current partner met you riding push bikes. Yeah. As you know, I don't ride push bikes. <laughs> um, and that's how we met. Yeah. That was that was a while ago now. It was, yeah. Does, does she still ride much? Uh, I, well, she has an array of cycles, a large array of cycles, um, and I anticipate she'll be on the road again this summer. Definitely not in winter. <laughs> Don't ride push bikes in winter time out here. Yeah, I I didn't mind it so much in winter. Um, I managed to layer up, but I just I run ridiculously hot. Like I, I don't feel the cold too much. But um, don't you get snot icicles and? No, <laughs> no. I've seen some lovely photos, but no, no snot okay. icicles. Oh, well, you're blessed. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to go. I, I do have to come home and. Uh, and and find my testicles and make them, make oh, them drop back out because it's it's just ridiculously cold out yep. there. So, oh, fair enough. So, um, you've been in the police force for for thirty something years. How hard has the last six months been for for you and other police officers in Australia? Six months. Yeah. Well, last last twelve months with with what's happened in America has have you seen any run on effects? To, oh, you're talking about BLM. Yeah. Have you seen any run on run on effects to how you're treated? No. Oh, no. There's a few. There's a few that will throw it up every now and then, um, but it's one important thing that we should know: we are not America. Mm, very true. Um, whilst. Throughout my life and career, I've heard people say we are 10 years behind America. Okay. In our, the way we think and develop and sure. technology and all that. Yep. Uh, I don't particularly agree with that. And most importantly, our 
what's the word? Our attitude. Mm. Our um, attitude is not that of an American. No, and I, I think I think I tend to agree that that's probably a good thing as well. Um, I mean, technology-wise, I, I I can't see it. Uh, I can't see us sort of being ever a competitor for America and where they are by any means. But just their attitude, um, which brings up an interesting point, I suppose, with um, with the hot topic of gun control and stuff like that. I personally, I, I sort of think that it that it has more to do with the with the culture um, rather than the actual laws. Um, but um, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, Australia's gun control and why why we have such a low um, low mass shooting number or gun crime or anything like that compared to the US. I know population density has a fair bit to do with it, but plus the ratio of firearms to to our populace. It's and this is Simon talking um, as a member of the community. I think it's our populace and it's our uh, our mindset as well. It's I, I often think that Australia and when they call it the lucky country, we are a very lucky country and we're a very casual and safe country. Mm-hmm. Um, Australians are pretty casual, pretty cruisy until something will happen and then we get pissed off. Um, and then we rectify it or do something about it and then we go back to being casual and cruisy. And that's, that's my spin on who and what we are. Yep. Um, multiculturalism's awesome. Um, well, it is because I'm part of it, as may other people in this room be. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let the record show that there's only two people in this room. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, no. Um, I we came over from England, um, and I just cannot imagine my life over there in comparison to the freedoms and the. The environment we live in over here. Yep. Um, as far as gun control, I, I don't know. Um, I like guns. I like the look of them. I like the smell of them. And I like to fire them. And I, I, not, I often wonder why anybody would need a semi-auto. And look, end of the day, there are people out there in, in, in Australia, rural Australia, mm-hmm. that need semi-autos for vermin control. Um, and they can address that by licensing. Yep. Um, and our licensings, some people will say it's a bit strict and some people say it's too strict. It is what it is. It's a community we live in. Um, but I do understand that you can be, uh, what's the word, not permitted to fly on a plane in the United States, mm-hmm. have a no-fly because of something you've done, mm-hmm. but you can still have a firearm. Okay. Do you how do how do our uh, gun laws and guns gun licensing compare to the US? Do you know? Well, it depends on what state you're in in the US, and I'm no expert on it by any means, but um, I've been to Texas where it's open carry. Is it is it open carry everything and anything? Don't know. Okay. Open carry handguns. Yeah. Um, I've been to Florida, where it's concealed carry. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I still remember the signs in some of the shopping centres in Florida. No concealed carry is allowed in this store. So that means you've got to go and put your gun in the glove box of the car. <laughs> which is just so bizarre for an Australian to say that. Yep. But, yeah. Um, I was watching some TV show, Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Yeah. Um, and the state that that's filmed in yep. is like open carry and like very, very liberal firearm. Yeah, yep. Uh, so their, their licensing over there is dependent on the states. Um, and uh, yeah, craziness. Like you can have semi-autos in one state and not so many semi-autos in another state. Yeah, that's right. So I know New York and Texas and California and Florida for that matter, plus the other 
46 states <laughs> are all very different. Yep. Yeah. I think New York is probably one of the strictest on, on weapons in, in general, firearms. Absolutely. And funnily enough, they still have a very, very high um, gun crime rate. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. Look, I... Um, from more for me it's more probably from a history point of view um i find them intriguing i i I think they're the engineering like i'm not uh, i'm I'm not an idiot i know what they're designed for but i also love the engineering the elegance that's that's in the engineering of the firearms absolutely um like some of the problem solving and some of the you know how they're designed why they're designed that way the the problems and how they get around it's just absolutely phenomenal I love it. So, but yeah, look, uh, again, from a military point of view, it's, I, I find all that sort of stuff very, very interesting as well. So do you find that um, if you're trying to relax and watch movies or something like that at home, do you pick apart anything that's heavily, that has heavily, uh, that, that has a lot of guns in them? I'm a bit of a war fan. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Not the actual act of war. That's, that's, Actually, pretty average. Yes. Deplorable, actually. Yes. Um, my father was in the in World War Two in the um, in the RAF, mm-hmm. and my uncle was in uh, the Eighth Army, and participated in D Day and Wow Battle of the Bulge and yep and um, other campaigns right through to Germany, and then when when VE happened. They shipped him off to Burma. Yep. Um, and and their friends, all of their friends, were like war veterans. Like talking about blokes that were in um, in Africa. And um, my father's good mate was a uh, was a, a British paratrooper and mm-hmm. commandos. And yeah, so they, they all grew, grew up with that. And I have my father's and my uncle's medals and a few other. Uh, War memorabilia from them. Yeah, I think you've seen them. Yes, yes, I have. I've been privileged enough to see them. Um, I forget where we, what the question was. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, just just talking about. Um, I suppose we were. Uh, oh, what what I do to relax? Yeah, do I um, pick fu- apart war movies? And funny you say that. I was watching Private Ryan before I came out here. Okay, so I was just killing a bit of time and flipped yep. Private Ryan on. Um. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't mind the occasional war movie. Yeah, Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan. I probably, I, I, it probably has my attention for the first twenty minutes, and then after that, it just. It's a, it's a very uh, graphic twenty minutes. It is. Yeah, yeah. I remember when it came out, um, and there were there were news reports about um, um, about veterans that um, that not only said that it was probably one of the the most realistic depictions of of the landing but um you know the the psd um effects that it had on people that were that were watching it do you imagine car- being there and carrying that round for the rest of your life yeah yep be atrocious yeah i mean look some of the stuff that you and i see um you know on our jobs isn't very pleasant but that's i, I don't think it has anything compared to no know, that's next level Next level stuff. Mm, absolutely. So yes, um, do you enjoy being in the police? Do I enjoy it? I can't see myself now doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a mechanic by trade. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Just like a vehicle mechanic or heavy or no, a light vehicle okay. mechanic. Yep. Yeah, did my trade. Um, that's not a. Don't see too many old mechanics around. <laughs> so I got out of that and joined the cops. Yep. Um, I've enjoyed my time in the cops. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose if you... Um, uh, my dad, for a little while, um, to get away, my dad's a plumber, and um, they packed up a camper van and drove around Australia and dropped into a lot of small towns and just did a couple of cashy jobs to, to keep them going and stuff like that and just jump from town to town. I'm, I'm sure you could... If you're still uh, fairly versed in the mechanics, no thanks. Things. <laughs> the last car, <laughs> the last car I trained on was a 1987 VL Commodore. Very nice. Mm. Was that yours or someone else's? No, that was that was the training that I was the last training course I went to. Fair enough. Yeah. 
A good car, though. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I remember they were the car when I left high school in 2000. They were the popular car, the the Calais with the little pop-up eyelid lights. Yep. And good Lord. Yeah, we've definitely come a, come a long, long way. Um, so other than um, obviously being in the police, you also teach. I facilitate. <laughs> so does that mean you're you're a professor? Is that your official title? I'm a facilitator. Okay. I have um so I have a degree mm-hmm. and I have a master's which allows me to facilitate. Okay. Um and I facilitate for a university that has numerous campuses throughout Australia. Sure. Um, what subject do you facilitate? Uh, emergency management. Okay. So what does that actually encompass? So the the course or the subject I teach is Introduction to Emergency Management mm-hmm. and it is the introduction to the entire field of emergency management strategically, okay. not tactically. So it doesn't tell you how to go and arrest people or how to put wet stuff on the red stuff or chop trees down or anything like that. It's the strategic planning and... Um, uh, and preparation of for for emergencies. Okay. And what sort of people do you see coming through? Do you, do you actually see firefighters and paramedics and and police come uh, through to try and better their knowledge, or is it people that have come sort of from uni and don't want to necessarily work on the ground but work on the management level? Or my main bulk of students are police, fireys, ambos. Mm-hmm. Um, a few in, in uh, local government because mm-hmm. the, they are um, oh, of components of sure. um, the emergency yep. management process in Australia. Um, SES, RFS, um, military. Okay. Who are like the best. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the military have really uh, got their ducks in a row. Okay. Um, yeah, and... and Every now and then I'll get a Bachelor of Arts student or a Bachelor of Business student yep. just trying to snap up on a, uh, a quick eight points so they can get their degree. Yep. So, yeah. How do you enjoy uh, How do you enjoy the teaching gig compared to being a police officer? I, well, I really enjoy it, actually. Yep. It's... Um, Is it the teaching component or the subject? It's or the the inter- of- well, I'd like to think I've pretty much got my head around the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, but things change as well, so I've got to keep up a little bit with that. Yep. But um, it's the interaction with the students, to be honest. Sure. Um, as 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 the subject evolves, um, I'm, I'm just doing a few videos, which you helped me on the last one, um, and I've done a few almost or just audio interviews with students. Yep. Um, we do live streams, probably four or five live streams. Live stream, live streams per uh, per session. Yep. Rather than just giving you a book and say stick your nose in that and see how you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, which is what which is how I did it. Yep. Um, all of my all of my subjects at this point of time are distance. Yep. So I don't actually see any of the students face to face. Okay. Email or telephone. Yep. Has it always been that way, or is it because of COVID? No, it's always been that way. It's always okay. been a distant subject. Right. Okay. I did a few gigs at uh, the uni where I did some tutorials. Yep. Um, yeah, and they keep talking about going back to that, but who knows? And yep. I'm happy where I'm at. Yep. Does that mean you can do all that sort of stuff from home? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Or if even the beauty of it is I can do it no matter where I am on the planet. Yep. So yep. I have taken uh, my students overseas with me in my... My laptop or my iPad. Very cool. So, yeah, so it doesn't stop me from doing what I want to do and yep. they still have the same contact. Excellent. Very cool. Um, how do you, um, has that, has teaching a subject like that altered the way you approach being a police officer? Yes, absolutely. I, I fell in love with the, with the subject in, uh, last century. I mean, I, I did a couple of training courses with the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and thought, oh, wow, really tweaked Mm -hmm. my interest. And uh, I went went on and did a few more courses with the cops and then um, enrolled in uni 
Yep. But yeah, I'll, look, if we use the mantra, if we get the small stuff right, it helps us get the big stuff right. Yeah. If we can't get the small stuff right, we're not going to get the big stuff right. Yeah. And there's always that for any like big event, like mainly fires in Australia. Mm. Um, first couple of days are a little bit hectic and a little bit disorganised, but we soon um, once again get our ducks in a row. Yep. Um, and we act with unity and efficiency. How, how's that? That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it? no, that's good. Wow. Yeah. Cause, and that's what does happen, in all honesty. Yep. Like, um, uh, I've been in a few task force with the fireys, and we, we worked with the SES and the RFS. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all worked together well with a common goal, and yeah, yeah it was right. really good. So, yes, so I like I like getting... The small stuff, right? Yep. Um, and we all have things to learn, no matter how long we've been doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, yeah. Very, very cool. Um, have... Um, how has policing in Australia changed in the last 30 years? Has there been any sort of major defining moments or defining events that have changed how Australia or New South Wales approaches their, their policing or has it basically been the same? Oh, it's changed significantly. Uh, probably uh, you could group, there'd be a couple of groups there. Um, definitely the, our technology mm. has changed so much. That's just like and, and like snowballing, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard for an old bloke like me to keep up sometimes. <laughs> I, I find that very hard to believe. Oh, no, I can assure you that the youngest staff have got it all over me as far as technology, especially remote access technology with the phones and sure and the uh, data terminals. Yeah, um, and I, I guess uh, our response to policing. And there'd be three main fields. That would be domestic violence, mental health. I don't know if drugs would fall into that either. Yeah. Drugs seem more prevalent, but I don't know if that's me. I certainly can't quote any stats. Sure, yeah. But, um, yeah. But definitely domestics, domestic violence, the way we address it. Yep. Absolutely, and that's a uh, multi-organisational approach. Yeah, look, I'll, um, uh, my my whole family's been been um, been in some sort of emergency services since I was very very little, uh, even before I was I was a I was a twinkle in someone's eye, and um, but it 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 wasn't until um, I got um, uh, I got put in a position where I, I managed managed the station that I'm at. It wasn't until I got put in that position did I did I better understand the the role that um, police have in our in our community. Um, I was probably a little bit naive in, in in thinking that it was it was wholly and solely just the the policing. It was the general duties. It was the law enforcement type thing. But the amount of incidents that we've been to, where like you alluded to, you know, you guys are doing the 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 mental health like the welfare checks and the mental health, but also doing. You know, if we get a bad enough call, you know, you guys are doing the CPR and you guys are doing the, the first aid shoulder to shoulder with the rest of us. Absolutely. And it comes down to the fact that we have finite resources. Mm. All the agencies have finite resources. So and that's when we all have to chip in. Yeah. As frustrating as it can be sometimes, we all have to chip in um, and do our bit because we're... I don't know about the fireys, but I certainly know the cops are legislatively bound to do certain things. Sure. Um, and that's, of course, the main, the main priority is saving life. Yep. And then uh, then saving property. But um, the also in that section of the legislation, it says the police and the community working together. Mm-hmm. So the community has a recognised and important role in policing their own community. Yep. Within the law, none of this vigilance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've 
you've alluded to the fact that you are a are a firefighter or a. So I was a firefighter. I was a retained firefighter with with an urban firefighting organisation <laughs> within New South Wales. <laughs> um, and and this was when you uh, lived in Springwood. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. How long were you a retained firefighter? Fifteen for? years on the dot. So you got your three stripes. Three stripes. Yep. And your medal. Uh, the black and red one. Yeah, good conduct and long service. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yep, I got those. Yep. And I got a couple of citation awards for a few of the bushfires I was in. Yep. Which was good. Um, yeah, so 15 years. Yeah. So back when you were a, um, uh, back when you were a fiery, you would have seen a fair few, um, a fair few major bushfires come through the Blue Mountains. Uh, to say the least, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's it, it, it's funny how, um, you know, it it all starts and it's like, uh, right, everybody boots on the ground, and wait. Yep. It's like, oh, mother of God. <laughs> and just and like, I got to tell you, it hasn't changed. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, and it's just boring. And come on, let's. Let's go, and yeah. then it goes, and you might have probably ten minutes of absolute terror and mm-hmm. fifty minutes of <laughs> fifty minutes of put the fire out. <laughs> I do remember at one fire, um, uh, I was in a task force. Yep, um, and the guys in another truck are out of the same station I was in. So we're standing our ground. We're not moving. And for those that don't know, when a when a fire front comes through, it sounds like a locomotive coming at you, and it's quite spectacular and it's literally terrifying. Mm. And anyway, these blokes, we're going to stand the ground, stand the ground. Anyway, this fire came through, and I've never seen three blokes run so quick <laughs> in my life. Whereabouts were you? Can you remember? I was uh, Purvines Road, Wimberley. Yeah, right. Okay. Was this in the 94 fires by any chance? No, I think 2000. Okay. Yep. I think. Um, would it have been 2000? Yeah, I think 2000. Anyway, it was brown trouser time. <laughs> it was. It was uh, terrifying. Um, and these blokes didn't stand there. <laughs> but to their credit, as soon as, the, uh, as, soon as it went over the top of us, uh, the guys jumped out of the truck as we all did and did what we had to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we didn't lose any property. Very good. In that area. So we, we did a good job. And so once again, so did the community. They did the right thing. They knew the fire was coming. Yeah. Do you miss being a fire? No. I don't miss, like, being up all night at car accidents. Ugh, yeah. And, yeah. Although you'd see a certain amount in the in the current role you're in. I do, I do but I... Yeah, I do, but it's just... You know, sweeping road and hosing roads down. Yep. Fire alarms are annoying. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. AFAs. Look, during the day, it's not too bad, but they, they never happen during the day and they never have, happen at good times. You know, you'll you'll get home from work and you'll jump in the... Sh- like the second you're in the shower, fire alarm. Absolutely. AFA. Run out, go do your thing. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely very trying, but um, yeah... The, um, we were at a um, we were at a car accident the other day, and we were there from seven o'clock at night till two o'clock in the next morning. Um, you know, that's that's a very long time to be standing on the side of the road. Plus, you have other jobs to go to, mm. and family life, and that's right. Um, and I, I know some people uh, that that was their sole job mm. as a retained firefighter. They were that busy. Yep. Um, and good on them. Yeah. But uh, I, I I had a different career path and just did it when I could. Yep. So did your um you, did your time in New South Wales Police and um when you were retained did they overlap? Were you a retained? Oh yeah. Police. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would go to a car accident as a fiery. Yep. Go home, get changed, go to work, <laughs> and then go back to the car accident as a cop. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, which had its advantages and its disadvantages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So through that time when you're in the Blue Mountains, when you're a fiery and a cop, the because um, I know the like the Great Western Highway isn't as safe and and straight as it used to as it is now. 
So the amount of car accidents, like even as a kid, I remember the amount of car accidents through through the Great Western Highway, through the mid Blue Mountains, like from from your Springerwood to Katoomba type area, just horrendous. Oh, I could. I've forgotten more than I could remember, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I can still travel that road and go yeah, here, 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 yep. all the way down the through the mountains. Yeah. Mainly the lower mountains. It's it's where I did most of my work, but. Okay. Some of the upper mountains as well, but yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's funny how we remember the the finer details of some of these jobs. But yeah, absolutely. Do you still um, do you still carry any of that trauma, or is it completely gone? Or I did. I str- well, I, I did. I did struggle for a while, and I guess I learnt how to live with it. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't. Some people don't struggle. Like I know guys I work with, and on face value. Not knowing what happens behind closed doors, sure, they seem totally cool with it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I've I've been doing some monumental jobs, um, and uh, yeah, yes, they do stay with you, but if you let them affect you, I suppose then it becomes a problem. Yeah, I think it's um, like any sort of grief and trauma. It's not necessarily dealing with that grief and trauma it's it's learning to grow around it and 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 be able to still function on a daily basis with that trauma i um this is where i I mentioned it before about the the d-day people they carried that for their entire life Mm. and obviously everything else that they did whilst they were deployed as our as our soldiers do now Mm -hmm. Um, so I would suggest that anything I've been through doesn't hold a candle to them. So I guess I owe it to them not to be a burden. Yeah. Is that, is that I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Look, it, it definitely is. And I, uh, the, the problem being is I think people can also get into a lot of trouble with that mindset. I think that, um, absolutely what these what these people went through through the war war and wars is is horrendous and like i said before like what what we deal with while we're on duties doesn't come close but that doesn't necessarily mean that our our reactions to them on a uh, on a psychological level is any better or worse i I think it's all relevant like you know what you know a, a car accident that we may see may be as traumatic for us as as you know someone else that that's sort of gone through the war as well it's just it's just how we you know react to them psychologically i suppose uh yeah I, look i agree with you 100 percent, 100 percent. i agree with you um and no matter what what uh is put before us and if we come out the other side whether we carry that we will always carry what's put before us with us how we manage how we manage that's a different story yeah um and yeah, I think uh, we need to, within ourselves, I would suggest that uh, my method of dealing was sort your shit out. Yeah. Because the way I was going, I was spiralling downhill. Okay. And not going to a good place. Um, and luckily I had a good um, person to talk to, a good psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically, I just came to the resolution, I need to sort my shit out and get on with it. Yeah, and I, think, I did, and and I'm, and I'm lucky. Don't don't get me wrong. Other people aren't that lucky. Yeah, I, I think the understanding of, of mental health, um, I'm not going to say illness because it, I, yeah, it, mental health in general. I think the understanding of mental health and how important it is and how important it is to, you know, look for the signs and all that sort of stuff. I I, I think it's come a long long way, like a ridiculous, like even from the time that I've been, you know, a, a fiery. Um, it's it's come a long way, and how it's how it's changed, and um, yeah, how it's dealt with. So it's it's getting better. It's it's by no, I, I don't think it's by by any means perfect. Um, we're still losing a ridiculous amount of people, not just in emergency services, but people in general to suicide. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And out here, outside of the metro areas, it just spikes. It goes up further and further and further. Absolutely. So from the time that you're a fiery, um, were you? Were you responded to the uh, the Glenbrook derailment? Uh, I was there as police rescue operator. Okay. Yep. Were yeah. you one of the first responders to it? Yep. Yep. There's a couple of guys that that um, 
went there before me. I don't know what they were doing, but I I, I had the encore rescue truck. Okay. So I was I was uh, called out from home. Yep. Um, and responded to that event. Okay. And that lasted for me um, from about seven a.m. to eleven p.m. Okay. So for for the people that don't know um, about the the Glenbrook incident, it's probably one of the uh, second biggest derailment in New South Wales history. Would you say? Oh, I know. There's historically some doozies. Okay. In comparison to that, and and waterfall as well. There's much bigger. Okay. Uh, much bigger uh, locomotive involved incidents that um, you'd be surprised if you do a bit of googling. Yep. Um, there was a site that I used to use when I was studying, but I can't remember the name of it. And it lists some. Pretty interesting pranks yeah. involving trains. So my, my first guest on episode one is actually a locomotive driver. So I'll have to get him and, and pick his brain about it as well. But um, okay, so for, for the people that don't know, um, can you, um, like, when was it and what happened? So it was pre-Olympics. So it was 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, a train, a long-haul passenger train. Mm-hmm was heading down the mountains and it was rear-ended by a, I think they're called inter-urban trains, a Blue Mountains train. Yep. Um, it was rear-ended the, uh, and the trains derailed and, yeah, it got pretty interesting. Yep. Pretty quick. Do you know um, uh, how many people died and injury rate and... Seven died. Oh, gee, I hope I got my facts right, and I don't want to certainly disrespect anybody, but seven died. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all aboard the interurban carriage. Oh, okay. Um, oh, injuries were numerous. Nothing too bad from memory. Mm-hmm. Fractures, lacerations. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't think I know that all the hospitals locally were put on alert. Yep. To get mass casualties, and to be honest with you, I don't think there were that many mass ca- casualties. Okay. Uh, lots of walking wounded. Yeah, sure. Hmm. We um we we get trained for and it's it's probably like we deal with a lot of stuff. Um, and one of the one of the biggest ones that that scares the crap out of me is is a mass casualty incident. Um. In, in in the town that we that we live, I mean, there's there's possibilities of it, but I mean, ma- a mass casualty for 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 here could be as easy as you know, like a coach rolling over or something like that. You know, something you've got thirty people to deal with, and you know, your four firefighters on a truck. Mm, so yeah, so it's it's definitely uh, definitely very very real. But yeah, um, being one of the first responders to it, I mean, the the, the scene was still fresh as it. As it were. As I drove down the tracks, there was a sea of people walking towards me. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I couldn't say I couldn't say 100 or 200 or however many, but it was yep. just a, a sea of people. And I was, and they, they were parting as I drove towards the train. Yep. I remember that. And then uh, we got about our business and obviously looked after the injured first. Yep. Did what you have to do. Yeah. So you were saying before that you, it's funny what you remember and it's some of the finer details. What's one of the finer details you remember about that incident? A bolt that holds a seat to the floor on a interurban carriage is 17 mil or 5.8. And I, I don't know. And you know what? I wouldn't put money on it because there'd be some train engineer going, no, it's not, it's a 916. <laughs> but... I'm pretty sure it was a it's a five eight. Yep. So it would have been nineteen mil, uh, seventeen mil back then, seventeen mil. Yep. And and for some reason that has stuck with me. That's one of the weirdest things. And um, what else? I was, I do remember the sea of politicians that visited the scene. Yep. And I also remember how good a job our commander did. A regional commander, Bruce Johnson, did with the media. Yeah. Now he had his shit sorted. 
Yeah, he had these ducks in a row. I actually recognise the name. I don't know where I recognise the name from. Uh, maybe he... I think he was involved in Threadbow as well. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. No, he was very ins- inspiring. Yep. Commissioner came up and gave us a chat, Peter Ryan. Yep. Remember his words, the eyes of the world are upon you. Mm. Is that is it is is that a threat or is that a <laughs> no 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 he, no the, the, no the, the the it went it went international in a heartbeat yeah right mm. okay yep so fiery and police um, what do you do to unwind you've already alluded to diseased chickens oh, I have a <laughs> I have a hobby farm yep that um, can keep me busy depending on what season it is yep. It's come a long way. Like, I keep on seeing the photo updates on social media. It's unreal, man. It it's, looks so good. It was a jungle when we moved there. It's eight acres. Um, it was a jungle when we moved there, and we've cleared it all, and we've now got some stock on board, and mm-hmm. um, it's a big accomplishment for me because I'm a city boy, and I, I only knew what a sheep looked like when it was on the dinner plate. Sure. Um, and chickens, for that matter, and yep. eggs. But, um, yeah, we've done a lot of work, and... Um, pretty much broken its back now. I'm just in the maintenance stage. Yep. Every now and then um, we have uh, someone sick, whether it be a sheep or a, <laughs> or a dog or a chicken or yep. something that keeps us on our toes. But um, we had a windstorm the other day. That kept us on our toes. Yeah, I saw the photos. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like, yeah. do, you, do you know what it actually got up to? 94. Holy crap. Like yeah. gusted up to 94? Yep. Man, oh man, it took out the flagpole. Yeah, I know. Well, the, the fold-up chair took out the flagpole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we lost a few things there, but uh, we did all right. Uh, others didn't fare so easy, but we did okay. Uh, yeah, so I've got that. Um, I do a bit of gold prospecting and relic hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, big plug for digging with Robbo on YouTube. <laughs> now, we, 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 will, we will get into that. Um, so how did you get into... Okay, so for first... You're on YouTube and you're on Instagram as Digging with Robbo. Yep. Um, what's your Instagram name? Digging with Robbo, I think. At Digging it, Digging with Robbo? Yeah. And your YouTube is the same? Digging with Robbo. Cool. Okay. So what do you do in the videos? Um, I'll either do a video on me scratching around for gold. Yep. Um, and that's panning until recently. I've just bought a detector and found my first nugget the other day. But was so excited I didn't video anything. <laughs> um, yeah, so normally scratching around for gold. Um, and I also, more so now, enjoy relic hunting. So mm-hmm. um, running a specific metal detector over the old gold fields and yep. pulling out some stuff that 160 years ago some drunken gold miner dropped. <laughs> And they dropped lots. <laughs> how, did, how did you get into relic hunting? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I guess scratching around for gold often pulled up a few relics. Yep. Uh, coins, old coins and Chinese coins. and Obviously uh, an interest in history and military as well, oh, I that, suppose. That gold field history in Australia... I'd really like to spend a day mm. in 18, I don't know, 62 yep. at Hill End, which is in New South Wales, Gold Gold Town in New South Wales. That would be mind-blowing. But, um, yeah, and yeah, I don't really know how I got into the uh, relic hunting. I think I, I think I, I took my fancy and I watched a few channels, on a few things on YouTube and thought I'll give that a crack. Yep. Um, yeah, and I've got a fair collection. Very, very cool. So, like, obviously you don't do it to try and have an income from it. Oh, good it's, grief, no. It's, it's wholly and solely because you're interested in, in, in doing it. Yep, it's, uh, it's uh, probably the best way to switch off. Mm-hmm. Because it's so analog, right? It, like, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no Bluetooth, anything. It's literally hands in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, in the middle of nowhere. And it's funny how you might look in the bush and go, no man has ever set foot in here before. And then next minute you're digging up coins and belt buckles and buttons. And yep. 
What's some of the mo more interesting finds that you've found? Or most interesting finds you've found? Things you've found? Items you've found? My, my, my most interesting relics? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, the most interesting, I guess, would be my, my, my cricket belt buckles. Your cricket belt buckles? I don't know. I'm in a book. Okay. About cricket belt buckles in Australia. Now, by cricket belt buckles, do you mean the insects or the sports? The sport. Okay. Back in the 18-whatever, 50s-plus... Australia must have been obsessed with cricket. Mm. And everybody would wear, well, not everybody, but there was a fair amount of people wore belt buckles that depicted cricket balls, cricket bats, stumps, <laughs> bowlers, catchers, you name it. And there is a million of them. And some of them are hallmarked and some of them are junk. But any cricket belt buckle is welcome. <laughs> just crazy how many cricket belt buckles do you have I have four or five okay um, my latest uh, edition of digging with Robbo uh, is a couple of mates and um, they scored a heap of belt buckles really yep now I think they've got four in two days unreal very very cool what's the most valuable thing that you've found well, it's hard to put value on what you find, I guess. You find a few coins. Mm -hmm. um, I found a barrel of a, what I think is an old uh, flintlock. Wow. Muzzle loading pistol. Yep. I think they were called cavalry pistols. Mm -hmm. But that's all I could find was the barrel. There was no mechanism. Nothing else. Yep. Um, what else have I found? Buckles and um, like suspender belt buckles. Lots, okay. of, lots of Paris buckles, they're called. Okay. Lots and lots of them. Musket balls. Um, yeah, all sorts of stuff. I'd have to have a look. I'd have to have a look in my display cases and go, oh, you know, and I could probably tell you where every, everything came from as well. Um, have you found anything a little bit more modern that's questionable that you've had to hand into the police? No. <laughs> we, no, thank God. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Because I know out, I know out here, like there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of urban myths about out here about, and, and I don't think there's as many these days. But um, there, there used to be a lot of open mine shafts or all around Blows Mount. And um, obviously they used to mine for silver and all sorts of bits and pieces out in the forest and stuff like that. But That's yeah, right. there was there was there there's a lot of urban myths about you know uh, you know bodies and bits and pieces thrown down the, <laughs> down the mine shafts and stuff. There is a mountain of open mine shafts all throughout this area. So yeah, and I, I try and keep away from them because you don't know how unstable they are in the first place. But yeah. Um, or what sort of what what the quality of the air and crap's like in the that's right once you go in yeah. um, when I used to mountain bike a lot especially through the forest like you you come over like come uh, come across them a fair bit and um, you know we, we we actually crawl into one it was actually a horizontal not a vertical shaft yep. and probably only got in about a meter and the bike lights just didn't do shit it was that black and that like it was it was it was crazy how dark it got, mm. like just ridiculously dark. How quiet it was, how cold it got, and then yeah, that was that was it. And I I, I know enough to go to know that, yeah, like the, the the air quality and stuff like that. It's a it's an invisible killer. Yep, dirty air. Yeah, absolutely. So you do that for um, just to unwind, or yep, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I don't get out anywhere near enough. Yep. Um, there's not, not enough hours in the day or days in the week. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. But uh, yep, so that's that's one of my pastimes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, pretty much it. I do a bit of uh, wood turning. Not very good at that. I do a bit of. I've just started working with resin. Okay, as in like epoxy yeah, or, yeah. or like the clear resins. Oh, uh, the or coloured or clear. Yep. Yep. I've started. Fluffing around with that a bit, and yep. that's all that is fluffing. Yep. 
and just with my um, leftover resin, I'll make a set of drinks coasters or <laughs> something. I do find myself um, on um, on social media, like I'll see the odd um, you know coffee table where they've gotten two pieces of like a, a a biscuit of timber, and then they've filled the gap with resin, and then sanded the whole thing down and backlit. It looks absolutely amazing. But I'm just I'm just not that creative. That's where I'm up to. <laughs> Trying to trying to get to that standard. Yep. But I'm taking baby steps because I don't want to blow five hundred dollars worth of timber and seven hundred dollars worth of resin. So baby steps at the moment. So while you're here, is there anything that you'd want to talk about? Why? <laughs> Why what? Why are you doing this? Uh, so what I found during isolation is that. Um, I spent a lot of time on the phone with my mates um, and it just, it, it dawned on me that a lot of my mates are interesting and funny and I think that they, I, they're, they're not necessarily famous, but they've all got interesting and funny stories to tell. So why not document it? Why not? And it's, it's, it's actually really funny. The, um, the feedback I've gotten is exactly that, is that they're, they're genuine conversations, they're not put on, and, you know, people enjoy a good yarn. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny, before my father passed away, I, I, I did a video with him. We spoke about, he was born in 1920, and he spoke about his childhood and then the war and coming to Australia and everything in between. It was quite interesting, actually. And his recollection was, he was 90. Or 96, his mm. recollection was awesome. Do you still have it? Yep, very cool. Yep, very, very interesting. Yep, he was very ill at the time, but I still have it. And okay. I, I, you know what? I haven't looked at it for years, but um, he could recollect the ship he was name of the ship he was on when he was transferred from England to India. In I, can't, I can't remember what day of the week it is. I know, and I could, <laughs> and I, I, I could Google a picture of the ship. Unreal. Yeah. So quickly going back to the relic hunting, I'll have to edit and cut it all together. Um, you video a lot of this stuff and put it on YouTube. How did that come about? The the oh, just for fun. YouTube. Like it's like really really poor quality. It's poor quality videoing. It's poor quality editing. <laughs> it's um. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, so I'm in a in a group of blokes called the Thin Blue Diggers, mm -hmm. um, and there's I don't know eight of us maybe that that are in the group, um, and there's three or four regulars, mm -hmm. and we're all very boring and monotone, and <laughs> so we're not uh, we're not Casey Neistat uh, uh, or Dan Mace <laughs> or um, uh, Nick Zametti for those who follow some of the YouTube creators there's, or Bobby Jukes. Bobby Jukes is really good. There's a couple of words I, I, I'd choose to describe you and boring isn't one of them. It's funny how we look at ourselves. <laughs> it is. It is. And we, we are our own worst critics. True. So do you have a, um, do you, do you have a, a, a loyal and nice little following to your social media and your YouTube? I've, I have, um, I think my YouTube's cracked the enormous amount of 200 subscribers. Hey, well, that's 200 more than me. Well, yeah, I suppose. But uh, I think I've heard that YouTube, I don't know, uh, what's a, another word for retard, but they don't promote, well, like some, a lot of channels, ultimately because they can't. Yeah. There is... Oh, there's some fact and figures. Maybe, once again, don't quote, quote me, but millions of YouTubes around, millions yeah. and millions of them. So, you know, you just, you just, I just do it for fun. If yeah. you don't like it, just hit that stop button <laughs> and don't watch it again. It's as simple as that. Do you, um, do you enjoy putting yourself out there? Uh, under my terms, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and like a, a a few of our YouTube uh, releases have been uh, less than victorious. We've had days where we've just had duck eggs and shit fines and 
uh, ring pulls and bottle tops and 20 cent pieces. It's just um, so we put our victories as well as our uh, failures. Yep. And you can't enjoy a vict- victory unless you have a failure. Yeah, that's right. I um, uh, I'm I'm an ex scuba diver, and I I didn't I didn't do the scuba diving because of the wildlife. I, I couldn't couldn't give two shits about looking at fish, but what I did enjoy doing is um, is doing wreck dives. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we we were we were being trained to to breathe helium, and going deeper and longer and all that sort of stuff. But what what that basically meant was that we could do we could do cave diving and we could do wreck diving, and that's the part that intrigued me. Like doing like you know we we always had aspirations to go do a mine dive like a flooded mine dive and. Um, go do a cave dive and go do a wreck dive. Like we we dived the Adelaide. Um, that was that was absolutely incredible. I saw that get sunk. Yeah, yeah, I saw the videos of it too. Mm. And we always said that we wanted to. It was just so ridiculously busy. So by by the time we we managed to, it, it was a couple of years after. Um, but yeah, diving the Adelaide was absolutely unreal. It was very very surreal because I mean the the, the ships the ships a lot bigger than what what people think. Like people think that it's a big ship. You don't realize how big it is until you're up next to it. That's right. But floating in and out of it also, because all the gun turrets were all removed. That's right. And they opened up the um, the hull as well, didn't they? That's right, yeah. But descending into where the gun turrets are, where the magazines were from top to bottom, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Very surreal. Very, very cool. You would have enjoyed diving, is it trunk? Truck? Yeah, truck. Lagoon? Lagoon, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for the whole malaria and the Philippines and thing, yeah. Definitely would have. But oh, I've got a mate that goes there quite often. Hi, yeah. Mark. How are you going? <laughs> <laughs> the um, I don't know. Look, at I had a friend that um, that was training telemarketers in Manila, and he was a he was a very avid scuba diver. He he dived it, and he just said that the um, you, you have to look after your own safety. Yeah. Because they'll just they'll let you do whatever you want, but yeah, you have you have to know your limits and you know dive to the plan and plan the dive and all that sort of stuff. And otherwise, yeah, you'll die. <laughs> I just, I, I'm not a fan of looking out. I can look down if I can see the bottom. I'm happy, mm-hmm. but if I look to the side and look into the abyss, yep. Nah, there is a name for that. It starts with T. It's like T H. Terror. Terror. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's. True. I used to find it exhilarating because you only had a certain amount of air and. Once you get up to a certain level in scuba diving, like our our scuba diver instructor was ex army, he was actually ex um, British army, so he was he was no bullshit. He was straight up and down, and it was like, look, you can fuck around and descend over the over twenty minutes, and you know let yourself adjust and look at the site and all that sort of stuff. Or if you've got a chain line, you descend as quick as you can, not waste any air while you're down there, and it it, it can give you an extra ten minutes while you're down there. So yeah, descending. Into the abyss and following a chain line down or a, or a or a marker or something like that, and then just having this this ship or this wreck or something like that just you know slowly emerge out of the abyss is just absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to do some more urban exploration and stuff like that. But as you alluded to before, it's just time, mm. just time. And where you are, there's not too many oceans. No. <laughs> Lots of caves, bud. But anyways. Yeah, true. So what's in store for you? What's, what is the next, next little while? I, I don't like to put a time figure on it, but what are you going to be up to for, for, for the rest of the year? Any exciting plans? Any big plans? Well, no, I like traveling and the pandemic has poo-pooed that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to save my leave up so that when, when the borders are open again, mm-hmm. um, I can have a fair trip overseas. Um, I actually, uh, I miss going fishing. Okay. Um, so I'm probably going to go and try and spend a week by the ocean. Very nice. And have a fish. Yeah, that might be good. Sounds excellent. We'll see. We'll see. But that's it for the year. <laughs> I mean, we're getting we're getting bloody close to the end of the year oh, anyway. Racing up. Yeah, that's it. So look, thank you very much for uh, for coming out, coming to the studio for christening the studio. It's um it's been phenomenal. It's my pleasure. It's um I don't know. I've uh, 
I've always found you a very interesting person to talk to, very intimidating person to talk to. But really? Yes. Yeah, ridiculously intimidating. Really? <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, look, if you if if you get a chance, check out Digging with Robbo on Instagram and um, and YouTube. And uh, yeah, like, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Hit that bell, as they say. Yes. <laughs> I'll bore you all senseless. <laughs> Simon, thank you very much. No, thank you. Absolute pleasure. The opinions or views expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the host or guest and do not represent those of the people, institutions, or organizations that the host or guest may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organisation, company or individual.